0: Welcome to Movies Are Life. I'm your host, Nathan Chandler. And although Halloween is over, just one day late, we're, we're diving deep into the realms of horror as we explore one of the most iconic and controversial films in cinematic history. That's right. We're turning back the pages of time and summoning the dark forces to discuss none other than The Exorcist. This iconic film is celebrating its 50th anniversary this year, and with the recent passing of its revered director, William Friedkin, I thought it was a perfect time to revisit this horror staple. I'm super excited that I was able to convince my good buddy, Brad McLillan, to take a break from writing his next novel to come in and discuss this film. How are you doing, Brad? I'm good. How are you, Nathan? It's so
1: good to be here with you again.
0: Yeah, I I occasionally message you and you're like, man, I'm still, I'm really, you know, staying dedicated to the writing and I'm doing this. And then I I wanted to do this movie and I was like, maybe I'll get him with this one. And I did. I was able to get you.
1: (laughs) You did. I I could not turn down a discussion of The Exorcist. Yeah, yeah.
0: I I was unable to do that. Yeah. uh, Brad was one of our first guests on this podcast where we discussed the movie X um, and uh, you haven't seen Pearl yet, right? No, I have not seen Pearl. And I'm really eagerly awaiting the moment when it arrives
1: at Hulu or wherever.
0: Yeah, so yeah. That I can
1: get that. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I've been a little surprised it hasn't popped up on one of those services yet. Yeah, I've been watching for it, but I may just have to break
1: down and rent it. Yeah. Um, but but I really want to see it because I really love Dex, as yeah, you know.
0: I, I got it at the um, our local library. I don't know if yours, oh. I don't know how Ponca City's library is. I don't know. I I will check into that. I often
1: forget that that's that's a thing that you can do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you there you very go. Different movies like your like your local blockbuster but only with a lot of books. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And even though I think of you as, you know, uh, as far as horror films go, I mean you, you like other genres as well, right? Oh, absolutely. I okay. mean, I grew up on action movies. I, the the only thing that I
1: I kind of shrug about a little bit are the rom-coms that my wife wants to watch on a Saturday night. She, she, you know, she likes the feel good stuff and and the laugh out loud stuff. And I'm, I kind of reluctantly will be like, Oh, okay. I was really hoping to hit you with something like martyrs, you know, or (laughs) or, or something hardcore, but Oh, well, you know, we can, we can do another Sandra Bullock night.
0: (laughs) So you you haven't been following along with our uh, 50 best rom-com series. I I have not.
1: uh, I mean, I can, it uh but i think i I like to follow your horror stuff a little bit more it's just my just my taste
0: okay yeah there's no problem with that that's why that's why we you know we cover it all we do rom-coms and then we do the extreme like this movie, Exorcist. you
1: you do you man you do you all good
0: (laughs) Well, well uh without further ado let's venture into the heart of darkness as we discuss this film that changed the face of horror forever somewhere between science and superstition There is another world. The world of darkness. The Exorcist is a 1973 American supernatural horror film directed by William Friedkin from a screenplay by William Blatty based on his 1971 novel of the same name. The film stars Ellen Burstyn, max von cedo jason miller and linda blair the story follows the demonic possession of a young girl and her mother's attempt to rescue her through an exorcism of two catholic priests the exorcist was released in 24 theaters in the united states on december 26 1973. reviews were mixed but audiences waited in long lines during cold weather to see this film so i wanted to take a little break from this description it released on the day after Christmas. Yes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> How insane is that, right?
0: Yeah. Well, I, I, I saw that, like, you know, like, Fathom Events does, you know, certain movie anniversary releases. And so I think it recently happened, one, I think, to, cor- you know, correlate with the new Exorcist movie that uh, was released. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, Halloween, October, you know. So it, I just thought, like, when I saw December 26th, I was like, well, that's I an know. interesting uh, choice. Isn't that just the <laughs>
1: weirdest time to put out The Exorcist of all time? I mean, I'm sure that the theater was still decked out in, you know, their their holiday stuff. I mean, I can can you only imagine? It's like,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, whenever it released, it, it almost has this folklore. Of, you know, viewers suffered adverse physical reactions to the movie, including fainting or vomiting to many yeah. shocking scenes. Uh, I'm sure we'll go into that a, a little bit, but. Um, you know, you hear those stories. I always kind of wonder, uh, really, like, how true to form they are, or if maybe that's maybe some of the marketers behind the movies kind of playing up those stories. I don't know. You, you
1: tend to hear these kinds of stories with the more extreme movies in general. Yeah. Like, I, I actually remember hearing stories uh, of movie theater goers and even a pregnant woman going into labor. With the mm-hmm. Texas Chainsaw Massacre when it was released, if you recall those stories. Yeah. Uh, I think Texas Chainsaw was one of them. The Exorcist is the famous one. There there are more. I believe Halloween has some interesting stories that have come out of, like, theatrical experiences and people, you know, just completely freaking out, you know. Yeah. So who, who knows how truthful they are? But I do know that there's really amazing YouTube clips of people going in to see the Exorcist and then coming out mm. uh, so you can actually view that stuff on youtube in in sort of like you know limited ways whatever they were able to catch from audience perspectives back then they did catch it yeah and there were a lot of freakified faces coming out of that yeah i'm not going back
0: in yeah you know people, yeah. People,
1: i hate that in there it feels weird
0: yeah so, yeah 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 um Yeah. In in the kind of research, you know, several cities attempted to ban this movie outright or prevent children from attending. But at the end of its original theatrical run, the film grossed $193 million and it, at this time it has had a lifetime gross of $441 million with uh, a lot of re-releases <laughs> and yeah. things like that. Um, the cultural conversation around the film helped it become the first horror film to be nominated for best picture. Uh, Blatty won for best adapted screenplay while uh, sound engineers took uh, the award for best sound. Uh, it's spawned several sequels and was the highest gra- grossing R-rated horror film until it came along a couple of years ago. It's had uh, a significant influence on pop culture and several publications regarded as one of the greatest horror films ever made. So uh do you believe that, Brad? Is this one of the greatest horror films ever made?
1: Yeah. So I knew you were gonna ask me this. And <laughs> that's that's a hard question because I'm such a hardcore John Carpenter fanatic that I always tend to think, you know, something like Halloween may be the greatest or you know, I don't know. It, it's it's hard to pin down the greatest. But in terms of what it achieved, what it's still achieving, how many ripoffs came out uh, afterward that tried to emulate the success and the freakish nature of it, you cannot deny that even at the cultural perspective of it, like just looking at it as a cultural phenomenon, it has achieved something hardly any other horror movie has ever done. And when, when you go back and, and watch it, and really kind of dive into it. I did a deep dive analysis of this movie in college, actually for a paper on its music uh, when I was taking movie music Uh and you start noticing sort of the brilliant, the more brilliant hidden aspects of the filmmaking itself. So uh, some of that stuff I'd love to to touch on today, but yeah, I think it, I think it is. I really do. I, I think it might be probably maybe the, the best horror movie ever made. I'm just going to put it out there. People might say psycho people might say the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, but What this movie has achieved has far surpassed any of those.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's definitely uh, s- s- as I mentioned, you know uh, William freaking passed away not that uh, long ago, but is known for other films besides uh, the exorcist but I mean there's definitely a artistic touch to this movie even as shocking as a lot of the things that are in it you know but you know really it being nominated for best picture um I was just sitting here I was trying to think of any other kind of horror type movies that have even touched that maybe you could say silence of the lambs but that's kind of you know that's kind of more suspense slash you know horror so I mean really it's like you know there hasn't really been another a horror movie like this that's even touched those categories i don't think
1: uh, yeah i mean in terms of best picture best director mm-hmm. things like that i mean it's it kind of swept it really didn't it um i i also cannot remember off the top of my head any other horror movie making that sort of achievement at the oscars but i may be wrong i mean something could have come along um i know that we're getting a lot of innovative new horror these mm-hmm. days um I recently one of my recent favorites was uh, the Australian movie "Talk to Me."
0: Oh thought,
1: yeah, "Talk to Me" was really excellent, and you know achieved some really brilliant things in that movie. But uh, but I don't know if it would ever win Best Picture, you right? Know, yeah, or, or Best Adapted Screenplay, or something like that. So this just achieved sort of an iconic status right out of the gate. You know, people understood what it was doing. Um at deep deep levels it was affecting everyone from the religious community to you know, just society in general It was really creeping in there. Yeah. Um it just did amazing things.
0: Yeah, so Knowing that you've done a research paper on this like kind of ballpark like how many times do you think you've seen this movie?
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, that's a very darned good question because I tend to revisit the exorcist at least once every couple of years okay, um and if I if I count the the numerous times I saw it in college, just just, to you know, backtracking things that I may have missed just to write my paper. And then I would watch it with my family. I have one very memorable Exorcist watch with my family, by the way, uh, which was really funny. I should tell you about that today. Um, I probably have seen it. I'm going to say. Twenty to twenty-five times.
0: Okay, wow. Yeah,
1: <laughs> that's a ballpark figure, but but I think it's really close to how yeah. many times I've seen The Exorcist.
0: Yeah, you probably should guide this conversation then, because <laughs> I um so I, I I'm pretty sure the first time I saw this was in college. It's kind of when I watched like everything, and so this was probably my only second time to see it. You know, oh, and it's one wow. of those movies you see so many clips. elsewhere, you know, like you, you know, it kind of fills in those gaps. So even Mm -hmm. watching it the second time, there were a couple of things I didn't remember about it, but like as a whole, as far as the big set pieces and stuff like that, I mean, it's, it's a movie that sticks with you. So, you know, it, it it felt very familiar even though I had forgotten uh, some aspects to it.
1: Oh yeah. It, it, it's ingrained in all of our collective consciousnesses now. I mean, you can't deny that. Like I think if you were to say the words, the exorcist automatically, you're going to see Linda Blair's face. You're going to see the, 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 pea soup vomit. You're going to see all that stuff in your mind's eye. Just, just like when you say the words Halloween, now you chances are a movie buff is going to immediately see Michael Myers. Mask. Yeah. You're going to see little clips there. It's, it's hard to avoid. I mean, it, it gets, it's, it got saturated. It got oversaturated. People tried to emulate it. Um, but the imagery alone in that movie just reigns supreme. I don't know. There's something about it that feels cold and calculating. <clears throat> and, you know, the the whole idea of the movie production being cursed. There's so much lore around it. It's just a fun film to think about and and explore, you know, as a creative person.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I'll say like probably the second time it wasn't, I mean, I remember my first viewing of it, like being pretty like, and I'm not someone who necessarily says I'm scared throughout a film. I think there are scary moments in a film. I think this is a rare horror movie where you're like tense throughout versus like. You know, um, even in the scenes that are like kind of breathe a little bit, (laughs)
1: there's
0: (laughs) just this layer of like dread, you know, Um, and so versus like if you watched, you know, like a scream type movie, I mean, one of its appeals is that you do get to take big breaths of like, okay, here's the scary scene. Now they're all, you know, kind (laughs) of joking around, you know, daylight, that sort of thing. Here's the high school hallway scene. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. yeah. And so, but I will say the second time around, I mean, I think I was able to probably focus more on the themes that it's trying to get across versus i i, I can't say I was really like scared i don't know if that was part of like just knowing what the outcome would be maybe sure. part of it of seeing you know reagan's head spin around so many times you know whether it was from this movie or being spoofed in other movies you know right. things like that you know oh <laughs> as i said that your cat like jumped up oh yeah the- <laughs> my my black
1: demonic Familiar character, yeah. Ophelia likes to watch.
0: Literally, just made me kind of jump a little bit. (laughs) Thanks, Ophelia. That was perfect timing. Yeah, it was good timing. Um. So, but uh, uh, yeah. So, like, maybe talk about like what I mean. I, I think we can both agree that the the visuals and the things that happen happen definitely stick with you. But as far as the thematic stuff, I think it's very interesting with just the uh, the battle between uh, not necessarily good or evil, but just like that um, that crisis of faith <laughs> that's happening so, yeah. in this movie.
1: Yeah, good versus evil, crisis of faith. I mean, and, well, so just to back up one second and talk yep. about the oversaturation effect that you know, unfortunately most of the horror market for the past 20 years has been very formulaic. Um, and so I tend to think of, of Hollywood and and movie making as, as almost mathematics. Now for those people, uh, they tend to, they, they tend to stick to the formulas that they know will, will bring in the teen money and, and, you know, the certain demographics money. And they stick to that formula over and over again and sometimes they'll try to outshock each other within the confines of that same formula. So you've got the teen screams, you've got you know the the, uh, the saw franchise movies you've got the the you know the, the torture porn but it, it's all very formulaic and that's why you have those moments when you feel like you can breathe versus you feel like you're about to get grossed out versus okay here comes the obligatory jump scare What the exorcist does well is this was back before, I mean, you know, I've clearly, you know, we've had horror movies from, you know, the, the 1900s onward. I mean, with the silent film era, with Nosferatu, with Dracula, and the Universal Monsters, all it, it, nothing was new. But The Exorcist came along and did things that, uh, you know, that accentuated the themes of it extremely well. So that's why I think it's got staying power. I think the... Uh, The use of its effects, although they're shocking, are not the thing that makes it stick in a person's mind. I think what makes it stick in a person's mind when they watch it, especially the first time, is that that feeling that, okay, I don't really know what I believe anymore. And there might be things hiding behind the Mm scenes, you know, And, and I think that people walked out of that movie feeling a little extra cold. And a little extra knowledgeable that maybe there might be a spiritual element to Mm -hmm. to life and living and death. And, um, you know, no matter what you believe, I think that theme of there is a battle going on sort of like silently between the cracks. Mm -hmm. That is a really cosmic horror kind of theme. And it is, uh, in fact, cosmic horror is kind of an interesting little side theme that gets explored, which I want to talk to you about. Uh, in the exorcist which is kind of interesting um but i don't know it the themes just kind of like are su- they're subtle but they'll really jump out at you at the end the good versus evil again the the, the you, you mentioned the crisis of faith that is a huge one um because nearly everyone in the movie has a somewhat of a crisis of faith or they're atheistic you know, um, they, they don't believe one thing versus the, versus the other. Truly the only what I would deem as the most pure of faiths is Father Marin,
0: uh-huh.
1: um, who comes back from northern Iraq, knowing he's got to face evil. Uh, and he's the one he's the one who faces down the shadows and he, he understands his mission, uh, whereas Father Karis didn't understand it. He thought it was psychological at first. He he thought exorcism was kind of a joke from the medieval centuries, and you know things like that. But the more they delve into it, and the more audiences delve into it, the more people like Karis and the audience begin to understand the gravity of what they're. Facing at the same time, which I thought was really, really interesting.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I think partially what makes this movie so frightening is like even other horror movies. I mean, often many of the characters don't deserve what happens to them. So I'm not saying that, but there's been some kind of action to lead whatever happening to them, whether it's like oh i shouldn't have opened that box or you know i shouldn't have gone into that haunted house or something like that like, you know this one solely is like it just really kind of just happens to this poor family it's it, so chaotic. It, it's just chaos it's chaotic you you know? Know. The, the, and there's no you know and they this movie doesn't even really even grapple with the issue of like uh, it's more about like what is happening versus like why it's yes. happening Yeah. And I think that's
1: where a lot of your modern exorcist type stories go wrong is that they try to cram (laughs) you with these, you know, religious themes of like, Oh, this is happening because of this. But in the exorcist, you get no answers. You know, there's no answer for why a priest would become possessed at the end.
0: Yeah. There's
1: no, there's no answer for that. It was just that he was self-sacrificial in the end and that's what Mm -hmm. happened. And there's, there's no answer for, for why it chose reagan for example mm-hmm. um or how it even got into the house or it, how it even got the notion to get into reagan and begin the weird little trippy captain trips thing or captain howdy thing that it that it had going on with her it's just so randomized it mm-hmm. that's what makes it so frightening to me
0: yeah um so <laughs> my mind went to a little different avenues this is real but i mean I I think it's, I think Linda Blair is just terrific in this movie. And I was kind of reading about how, you know, uh, it came out that like somebody else dubbed her like voice, demonic voice. And uh, Linda Blair was nominated uh, for an Oscar for this role. And people seemed to have like a real big quibble that it wasn't her voice. And yeah. I was, with that knowledge, I was watching this going like, I, I don't care. Like, mm-hmm. are you seeing all the like, physical things she's having to do. I just thought it was oh. funny that people were like, "Oh, yeah. she didn't deserve that nomination because yeah, it, it wasn't her voice." voice. Yeah.
1: <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <I> was, <laughs> she broke her spine making this movie. I mean, what else do you want, you know?
0: Yeah. Yeah, but, but um yeah, that's something uh I mean, definitely, you know, I think watching it now that I definitely connected with a lot more is that I think any parent has probably been in some kind of frightening situation where you feel like you, you you don't have control. And so now, you know, watching this movie now, like uh, really connected with Ellen Burstein's uh, character in this movie. Cause like, I mean, just uh, her just trying to, just figure out like what's happening and what's wrong, you know? And yeah. um, I almost thought the more frightening scenes were all the hospital scenes versus oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, cause we, we thankfully have never had to go through that with one of our kids, but uh, we have had like surgeries that happen and even very standard procedure type of things. It's a very frightening ordeal to like, hand your you know child off to a doctor to do whatever you know when you're not there and so those scenes almost are like to me more like nauseating i I get it
1: i totally get it i mean having a having a now 13 year old and and i believe you have a 12 year old uh reagan Reagan,
0: Reagan, she She just turned 13 oh just turned okay well i
1: mean even still you know reagan is 12 years old in this movie
0: yeah And and just to
1: just to see her cooped up in the hospital uh, and you you talk about the the nauseating aspect of the hospital scenes. Ironically, that's actually one of the things that that caused a lot of the the nausea in movie theater goers was apparently the hospital stuff where they were doing the procedure. Yeah, had to go through her neck and it was spurting blood. And yeah, a lot of people couldn't handle that level of of a gore. I guess uh-huh. happening to a young person like that, and and then it just everything got amplified when she started spewing the pea soup, and you know <laughs> you know it just got worse and worse and worse. But yeah. but yeah, you're right. The the hospital scenes are just horrifying. My my stepdaughter broke her arm a couple of years ago during a gymnastics practice, and uh, we we rushed over there, um, and she was just lying calmly on the ground, waiting for the paramedics, but her arm was an L. It was a just complete hell <laughs> at the forearm and it, it, seeing that just kind of there's something in me just shattered. I was like, <laughs> I would give anything for you not to have to be going through this. Yeah. Right now. Yeah, yeah. And so, yes, it for f- to become a, a stepfather or for you to be a father or uh, for a mother to watch this movie brings a completely different layer, a thematic layer of motherhood, fatherhood, all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, th- th- you mentioned lack of control. Hell yeah. I mean, it's like that. just, you don't want anything bad happening to your loved one and you can't think of anything more horrible happening than you know a little case of demonic
0: possession <laughs> <laughs> just a little case just a little case yeah, yeah uh, so I think there's a lot of things about this movie that uh stand out I think I think the acting I think the cinematography uh the the, the effects I mean I, yeah the sound design uh so much I mean what really stands out to you the most?
1: Uh, oh gosh. Okay, so I'll try not to rabbit hole this discussion because this is kind of, this was sort of my research paper's focus. Uh, what really was the sound design element of it, and the the use of music and the minimal use of music, actually. But uh, I think my I think one of my favorite sequences is actually the prologue, uh, where Father Marin is in northern Iraq. The yeah. the, the things that happen there with sound. And with the lack of sound and with lack of music and then music coming in, uh, coupled with the cinematography, really sets up everything just absolutely brilliantly. And I don't think a lot of people realize how how perfect and how important the prologue to the Exorcist really is. Um, you know, there's there's a moment and then and then I've got another kind of favorite moment that kind of mirrors a little bit of what's going on. Uh I don't know that that Iraq scene. It if you watch it, there's there's minimal music in it, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you
1: hear you hear tiny little pieces of like very odd, like acidic sounding, like just crazy kind of like uh, strings, kind of uh, screaming at one another at, at times. Most of it though is the churning of iron. You'll hear mm-hmm. like the, the hitting of iron on iron. Of, you know people. Hitting things, um, squealing sounds, just weird, odd, like almost like sounds of chaos. And it starts with that sort of like Middle Eastern sound. And then it goes very quiet as he- they're discovering this thing in the sand, which is actually the the image of Pazooza, mm-hmm. uh, this this demon. And as soon as that dig happens, all of the sound just cuts out and everything gets very quiet. And when father Marin finally decides that he has to go confront evil, that there's some sort of weird omen calling him to battle. There is, there's literally no sound in the, in the the scene that follows when he's walking through this particular holy place where you see people who are bowing facing Mecca. Um, you can't hear footsteps. You can't hear people talking to one another you can only hear a light shuffle of his, of his feet. And it's almost like the calm before the storm.
0: Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And
1: then as soon as he leaves the holy place, it's back to the clanging of metal and it gets heavier and heavier and heavier. It gets more and more chaotic. The sound intensifies. He almost gets run over by this grotesque looking woman in a wagon and things screech and things are squealing and you see like fire coming up from a uh, molten lava as people are for doing something at a forge. It's just chaos. It's chaos personified. And then it just like cuts out and you hear quiet again. He's walking into the desert. And I don't know if you know much about the Pazuzu lore of the Mesopotamian demon, but this uh, this particular demon was an ancient Mesopotamian personification of the Southeastern wind. Uh, I'm sorry, the Southwestern wind apparently. And so he's like this demon of wind, and the second that the sound cuts out of the prologue, and he's sort of about to face off with the giant version of the statue, and you see sort of that that stark comparison between his shadow and that one. The wind is blowing in his face. Mm-hmm. You hear the, you know, it's 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 little moments like that that make it almost perfect for me. That it was a perfect prologue. It's setting up this this battle between good and evil. A lot of it's going to be chaos. A lot of it's going to be quiet, mm-hmm. um, but all of it is going to be this face-off between good and evil. And I've got other theories about Pazuzu and, you know, things that that might cook your noodle, but I don't know if we'll have time to go into it. <laughs> but, uh, another another scene, if I may, that I really like was the psychiatric ward where uh, Father Karras goes in to see his mother. After oh, yeah. Been, after she's been admitted into the ward right before she dies. Um. I think a lot of really interesting for foreshadowing and foretelling and thematic stuff is happening there the second he walks into that room. Mm-hmm. So if you go back in and watch, you'll you'll notice that every other character in the ward is a woman. Hmm. Right. And they all basically swarm Father Karras. Right. They get around Father Karis and they're touching him and they're trying to grab at him and he's very annoyed. This is a man who has a crisis of faith going on right now. And his, his beloved mother who is the only person he has in his life really is dying. And she's been admitted into this ward and you have all these women begging for his help. And one of them reaches up. If you notice, it's a very subtle moment and grabs his white priest's collar and yanks it out and stuffs it into her mouth. Hmm. Almost as like she's, she's, wanting to imbibe him, right like uh-huh. wanting to, wanting to drink him in or eat or eat whatever he has that will help her. And it's almost a foreshadowing later of the fact that a woman will beg for his help mm-hmm. and when he goes to face off the demon in Reagan, you know Reagan spews on his collar. yeah, all of this stuff happens. And so there are these there are these brilliant little side moments, these very quiet moments that happen almost like a blink of an eye in the exorcist that if you're not watching it because you're waiting for the big demon moments, you're going to miss some truly spectacular filmmaking moments, you know? Yeah. Um, So I don't know. Yeah. I, I, I find that a lot of the sub themes get missed, I think by general audiences and um,
0: themes of gender,
1: um you know, are all over this movie.
0: Yeah. uh Yeah. That was something I would say I, I had forgotten about was this whole kind of side story between him and his mother um and how prevalent that is in this movie i mean yeah. it, it's not quite half and half it, you might be surprised that that's probably kind of close actually uh but yeah that was definitely an element uh that i had forgotten about for sure so and you and you wonder why
1: it's so important to the story why yeah. would, why would his dying mother be that important to force us to sit and watch these long scenes of pure quiet where nothing is going on, where there's no action until you get into the dark room with Reagan and the, the, in in the possession moments and the demon is spewing all these lies about the mom being down in hell. Mm -hmm. Um, And father Karras has already been suffering this crisis of faith. And he has to listen to this demon talking about this beloved woman who just died suffering eternal you know suffering in hell and it it every every little inch of that was designed to shake Harris down to his bones you know and uh just just goes to show you how powerful the characters really are and how self-sacrificial he really was Mm -hmm. in the end so every every little tiny moment in the exorcist contributes to the whole oh yeah a lot of people realize that when they first watch it as a general audience you know
0: yeah no yeah I definitely agree. Um, this is kind of random, but uh, do you think it's weird that we don't see Burke die? Uh, Chris McNeil's uh, boyfriend the director. slash director. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean it, it's always talked about. Me. Yeah, yeah, it's always talked about like what happened. Uh, and do um, do you think that was you know I I, I don't know I was wanted to get your opinion if that was maybe. So, a, a budgetary uh, decision, or <laughs> if it just added to the fact that you don't really know what happened.
1: one of these one of these kind of plays into some weird theories I have about the Exorcist. Uh, and so I'll talk about one of these. Um, so do you remember the at the party at the McNeil party at the very beginning of the movie? Uh, Chris is throwing this big extravagant, you know, hoopla with with, a, you know, the director there and a lot of folks who are who are showing up wanting sort of a piece of her. And Burke is there and he's just blitzed. You remember how right, drunk yeah. he gets, right? Well, there is a really quiet moment in that party where Burke actually calls Chris's caretaker a Nazi.
0: OK, yeah, yeah.
1: Just straight up calls this guy. I, I think his name was a uh, Carl. Uh, Carl. Yeah, was yeah. The, was the caretaker in the movie? And he says, "I'm sw- I'm Swiss. I'm sw- I'm from Sweden. I'm Swiss." And he's like, "Yeah, you damn Nazi or whatever." Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Such a weird moment, right? But right. It, it's it's and then you don't see Burke die. It almost kind of makes you wonder if you didn't see Burke die because the director, the writer, wanted you to think that maybe just maybe in theory land you know carl had something to do with it because you know was he really a nazi with you know uh, apparently the theories are that carl is the one who puts the crucifix underneath the pillow
0: okay um
1: and all that stuff so you know so he he had been in the room mm-hmm. uh, and he apparently understood that Reagan was possessed. This 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 German guy who's the caretaker of this house, and he's such an ignored character. Yeah, nobody ever truly walks out of there going, "Was that guy a Nazi? Was he? Was that a Nazi living in Chris McNeil's house and like helping with his?" Her? So that may, But Burke is the only one in the movie to call him out on it during a drunken rage stupor in this party, and he's like, "You you know you butcherer things like that." And then all of a sudden, like a few scenes later, he's dead and you don't see why.
0: Yeah. So yeah.
1: I don't know. It kind of makes you wonder if there's like, you know, maybe a little nod to the fact that maybe, you know, Carl either saw it happen because he had been in the room uh, or he pushed him himself. You never yeah. know. I mean, he, he, he may have been a Nazi. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> so do him you, so uh, what do you think? I mean, there's a lot of them. But uh, what do you think is the scariest scene? uh, from this movie?
1: Oh, that's a fantastic question. I don't, it's, it's none of the, I wouldn't say it's any of the, the pure exorcism moments where they're, where they're battling the demon. I wouldn't even say it's the, the, the moments when the extremisms of the movie come out, like the, the spewing of the, the pee vomit, you know, all that stuff. Um, I don't I don't think that's the scary stuff. Mm-hmm. I think the scary stuff is when Reagan is asleep with the demon in her mm-hmm. and Chris comes into the room and it's quiet and cold. Yeah. And you are at that moment, you are so steeped in dread that you have no idea what to expect. A modern audience would demand that the demon reach up and strangle her at that moment, but that's mm-hmm. not what you get. Mm-hmm. You just get this quiet moment where this mother walks in to check on her daughter knowing what is inside her at this point, or maybe, you know, thinking who knows what, and then looking up and seeing what, what does it help me burned into a yeah. flesh. Yeah. Something like that. I think that might be one of the scariest moments for me or the moment when father Karis is by himself and really wrestling with that moment of that crisis of faith and seeing his mother mm-hmm. waving in the subways mm-hmm. trying to get his help and you know it there are those little sh- the shock value moments are are glamorized as like you know pop horror stuff yeah but it's those little moments like that that really make it memorable i think
0: yeah yeah and i had forgotten i meant to actually time it i'm sure it's out there on the internet somewhere but like how long that exorcism scene is you know uh with the two priests in there just yeah. i mean i i would guess maybe 20 minutes or so. I mean, long enough that even there's like almost like a halftime.
1: <laughs> there is. Yeah.
0: yeah. <laughs> uh, so, but, you know, the, the power point. for everybody. Yeah. yeah. The power of Christ compels you. I mean, a lot, you know, that's where that famous line comes from and everything. But um, man, just because prior to that, a lot of the scenes, you know, the things happened, but almost kind of comically. So where it would then just cut to, you know, a different scene. And I kept thinking of like, what, what like, what happened after her, all the furniture went after her <laughs> like you know <laughs> which a lot of scary movies do you know they have these yeah. big moments and then you know they're just cut away i'm always like so what like happened after that like you know but yeah. uh they anyway run back
1: together yeah, yeah 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 but yeah. that yeah
0: certainly the last scene and just how that all plays out is just very very effective because you're like oh okay we are gonna be here for uh for a minute <laughs> yeah so yeah it's yeah. it's
1: it's not just a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am. We're done here. It's like, this is a a catechism that they have to go through. And, and they, you know, they, they have to slowly methodically do this. And in fact, doesn't father Marin die quietly slumped over Mm -hmm. somewhere. Mm -hmm. He doesn't even die thematically, you know, Yeah, hugely like by the demon, he just passes away from his, you know, cardio arrhythmia or whatever he's got going on.
0: Yeah. Um, Yeah.
1: So it's just, little brilliant moments like that where it's like, wow, okay. There, there is a little pause in the the exorcism. They have to go rest. They've, they got to go clean themselves up. They it's, it's so not sexy, you know? Yeah. It's it's like, it's like all of the horror movies these days at least attempt a version of like really cool. We're going to, we're going to grab you with this explosive ending that's going to look just damn good.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: But the exorcist was vomit on you. Cold. We're gonna walk away for a while. No music is gonna play. (laughs) It just steeps the audience right there. I mean, it it just puts you in that room with them so so well. Uh it's creepy stuff. So I have a question for you. Yeah. Did you do you know about the astronaut? (laughs) No. The Exorcist? No. (laughs) Oh, this is this is a this is an amazing little piece. So back to the party. You may not have been aware that there was an astronaut at the party that okay. ends up being a recurring character for William Peter Blatty, uh, the novelist. Uh, oh. So while, you know, if you if you analyze that party, if you go back there, and the reason I analyzed it is because I was really confused in earlier viewings of The Exorcist, why Reagan would go downstairs and say, you're going to die up there. And then pee all over the place. Yeah. Like, what did that mean? Did that mean that when you all get to heaven, you're all going to experience death or what, what did she mean? She was talking to an astronaut that was at the party. Um, and his name was captain Billy Cutshaw. Okay. If you, look, if you look into this, it's true, true story His his name is Billy Cutshaw. He shows up in William Peter Blatty's next novel called the ninth configuration which he ended up directing okay and getting very good accolades for by the way um he 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 wrote and directed three movies or or was part of three books rather i'm sorry and he calls those his trilogy of faith books okay the first being the exorcist the next was um uh legion which the exorcist three was based on okay and then he wrote the ninth configuration And the ninth configuration is about this astronaut named Billy Cutshaw, or he's, he's one of the characters who has a crisis moment where he breaks down, has a mental breakdown and aborts a moon mission. Okay. This is after the events of the exorcist. Okay. So here you have a demon possessed child coming downstairs, looking at an astronaut, telling him you're going to die up there. Okay. Okay. And then in the next novel, he aborts a moon mission because of a nervous breakdown.
0: Oh, yeah.
1: It's amazing. The the connections are amazing. So what Blatty did was when he realized that The Exorcist was so popular and with the success of The Exorcist, he went back and revised his next novel after The Exorcist to kind of like um, up the themes of, of crises of faith and science versus, you know, belief and things like that. So it was another crisis of faith kind of story where um, this other astronaut is trying to understand Billy Cutshaw and they get into shenanigans together. Um, But it's a really interesting moment, right? It's like, I always wondered why Reagan was saying that and to whom she was saying it to. But then you've got this, this guy who's talking in the corner at one point to a priest and he's like, Oh, don't worry, father. It's not really as bad as you think. Not like the other missions, Hmm. you know, and the, and this one priest who happens to know father Karras says, Hey, the next time you go up there, take me with you. They could use missionaries on Mars, things like that. So it's just this (laughs) tiny little moment, but it speaks volumes for William Peter Blady's world that he created. It's like yeah. this recurring character. Isn't that wild?
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would, I would definitely probably rethink some things if, uh, if I was placed in that situation. <laughs> so I'm not going to go to the moon after the yeah. this child tells me I'll die up there. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> Movie
0: musings. So you kind of touched on this uh, a little bit, but I, I don't know And this could go into really <laughs> deep territory, but on a surface level, I guess you say, uh, do you believe in the battle of good versus evil?
1: Oh, Nathan, this, that's big. That's a big question. Yeah. Um, You know, I have, I definitely have in the past. Um, I, I grew up, I think we've talked about this before. I, I grew up in, I think actually we touched on this when we talked about X, the way we grew up yeah. in religious households. Um, I grew up as a Baptist um, and we were, we religiously went to church. Um, I was taught up until I was a, a young man in college that, you know, Good versus evil battles exist. The spiritual plane is out there. It exists, you know. So talk to God frequently and, you know, eschew the devil and all things evil. Um, you know, as I've as I've matured and as I've gone on through life and as I've reanalyzed and as I've I've doubted things that I've learned in the past, it's a complex issue in my mind. Every now I, I guess you might consider my particular beliefs now on good versus evil as more humanistic. Mm -hmm. i think i think that humans have you know capacity for great good and evil and the way we fight that um is pretty telling yeah Uh, you can look at it in our politics you can look at it going on overseas right now i mean there's there's definite good versus evil now who's good versus who's evil Mm -hmm. is the problem nobody really knows anymore it's so blurry um in terms of a spiritual warfare though though i mean you you never know i mean it's, it's unseen people. People say they believe in it wholeheartedly. I, again, I used to believe in it. I don't know. I, I don't know what I don't know. Um, you know, I, I guess if I had that particular ability to peel back the layers of our reality and see the spirit plane, I would definitely be a believer.
0: Um, but
1: yeah, what, what about yourself?
0: Um man, I, you probably framed it better uh than I could. I, I think that's a really good outlook to have it. I uh I think that there definitely is. I think uh I think you know often what the problem uh becomes is people trying to diagnose <laughs> what is good and what is evil yeah. and that gets, you know, those lines start getting blurred. I yeah, consider so, uh, the
1: sources usually, right? Right, right,
0: right. Yeah. And so I definitely think it does. I think definitely, uh, where we kind of you know, allocate our focus onto what that is and what that means can be construed a lot. But, um, I do, and I don't, I always don't want to say that, uh, it's not a serious thing to, uh, consider and stuff like that but i do think if it's something that dictates your whole life and how you perceive life that can be very hindering does that make sense
1: (laughs) absolutely and i think that's one of the big problems with religion as a whole is like when you allow yourself to believe firmly that higher powers whether good or evil are guiding everything we do then you are more prone as a human to take yourself out of the equation Mm -hmm. um, in terms of decision-making, in terms of the way you treat a person. Um, I think, I think we all have human responsibility. And I think that um, religion tends to tell people you don't have to be responsible because there are these higher forces at work and you just have to be guided by those. And if you're not guided by the right ones, then damn all the rest of them because they're wrong. Right. That's a right. problem for me. That's a big problem. So, um, you know, going I guess, tying this back to the exorcist, it's, it's, it's basically Chris O'Neill's path. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Chris McNeil's path, rather. But that's the one that she's following probably even more than father Karis. I mean, he, he had sort of this roundabout way of coming back to religion. Right. I mean, he, he took the hard way, uh you know he he goes to jesuit school he um he believes in helping people but then he turns to science he starts disbelieving just a little bit um because he sees proof in science and um and not in, in in the spirit and all of a sudden boom he's thrust into a spiritual conflict again well if you look at chris mcneil's journey as a mother she undergoes an even more morbid transformation i mean she's thrust into this situation where she was an atheist Didn't believe in any of that. Never went to Jesuit school, and boom, she's thrust into this situation where she has to like question literally everything, you know, for the sake of her daughter. You know, what is going on? How how could this possibly be? So it's it's really interesting, and it's we're never going to get to the end of the conversation as humans. Yeah. Right. No. Yeah. (laughs)
0: Definitely. So (laughs) for so for less serious question, uh, do you like pea soup? that is
1: far less serious than what we said. <laughs> um i do not like pea soup probably thanks to the exorcist right <laughs> um, probably thanks to the fact that although i like to wear green i typically don't eat it very much except avocados um yeah i i'm not a big pea soup fan i i confess you know my my wife and my stepdaughter will eat split pea soup all the time and oh, really? <laughs> i really look at it it just looks like this like you know horrific baby food contraption thing. I don't know. It just looks awful to me. I don't like it. <laughs> so, so thumbs down, thumbs down on the pea soup, vomit or otherwise. I would right. right.
0: <laughs> um, so, uh, this question, hopefully I kind of intended it to be a little funny, but it may not be, but you have, you know, you mentioned, uh, we, we, we both have daughters who are both uh, are teenagers. Uh, but is there a moment, uh, or when was there a moment when you have been most scared of your daughter?
1: Most scared of my daughter? Yes. <laughs> or not? Not for, but of. Um, right. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, she's definitely being a young teenager, for foraying into the world of being thirteen. There, there have definitely been those Reagan moments where you know you you enter the her sacred domain, her room, and she gives you the Reagan possessed eyes. Like what the hell are you doing here? It's very different from seven year old, you know, uh, stepdaughter who's like grabbing your legs when you first, you know, come Mm -hmm. in from work and you're like, Oh, hello. And you wrestle with her. And now it's more like Wednesday Adams. Don't bother me today. I haven't had my coffee, you know, things like that. So I don't know that feeling, feeling scared of her. That's a really funny question. I don't feel scared of her, but I definitely respect hormones. (laughs) (laughs) I respect hormones. I respect the path that she's on, and I don't want to get in the way of that.
0: Yeah. 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 What what I thought of that made me think of this question is, I mean, this movie, but um, so this was several years back and Hallie, she still deals with allergies and we're still trying to figure out certain stuff. But um, the doctor recommended uh, for her to get on Singular. And anyway, we didn't think about it at the time, but like her mood was just like it was almost probably equivalent to like how you hear about moody teenagers. But this was like four or five years ago and we were just like, like what? And like, you know, we'd be like, you know, and she's always like, if you know Hallie, she is so just good spirited and always happy. But in the morning we like ask her, Hey, do you want some cereal? And she'd be like, yes. And we like, Oh, (laughs) okay. Uh, You know, like it really was like that. Yeah. Yeah. And she was like, she was like snapping at uh, my mother-in-law all the time and they usually, you know, relationship. And so we finally called the doctor talking more about the behavior. We didn't link it to that. And then, you know, she asked the medication question and we mentioned the singular and she's like, yes, take her off that singular, like right away. And if you look, it's just a, a side effect that does happen. And almost like pretty much like right when we took her off of it, she was completely Hallie again. It is so wow. bizarre. So, anyway, but even at that time, we would kind of joke about that. Like, we have like Linda, you know, Linda Blair and our old house. priest <laughs> and a new priest. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, anyway, that's what I always think about.
1: So, yeah. anyway, um, yeah, no, teenagers have so much to go through with their hormones and, you know, with puberty, anyway, and, and pressures at school that when they come home, that's their safe place to be, Reagan, if they want to be. You right. Know? Right. Yeah. And um, so, you know, I understand the mood swings It's going to happen most of the time, you know, Chloe's mood swings are, are um, not really all that big of a deal. She's, she's a very pleasant girl and she's, she's very fun to be around. Uh, but but she does have her moments where I'm like, oh, I you know, better approach cautiously like she might be a loss wrapper.
0: rapper. <laughs> right okay. uh, yeah. yeah. So just to kind of wrap up this movie, I mean, I do think this is a movie you could, you know, poses lots of questions and you could go on and on about them. Um, I, I think as a movie, um, I mean, it's just in that lexicon of horror movies. It's almost it's, certainly if you like horror movies, you ha- have to see this movie. You know, it is, you know, because of its graphic nature, it's not something I would just recommend to somebody, you know, because it is, I mean, even now watching it today, you know, some of the scenes that happen, especially as someone uh, of faith and the things that happen in it uh, are, you know, quite revealing. But, um, you know, it's just still very, very effective 50 years later, for sure. Absolutely.
1: I think it's one of the greats, if not the great horror movie yeah um uh, going back to your original question do you think it's the best and i i i do tend to think that it is probably at least in the top three best yeah ever made um just for its subtleties and its extremism and it's uh the the quality of filmmaking quality sound design all of it just wrapped together into this uh extremely memorable experience
0: yeah yeah and i think besides the fact that you know it's a very you know it was made of the 70s so it does have that kind of film look to it but we didn't talk about uh, a whole lot but just the effects of it i mean it really is a movie that holds up i think from that standpoint of even even the scene where she's levitating off the bed still just looks flawless so it, great uh, yeah yeah,
1: yeah. In, in fact levitation scenes in um devil demon possession movies these days there there's it's so oversaturated in the market seeing that kind of uh kind of thing you know the the person crab walking up the Mm -hmm. the, you know the ceiling or or levitating it does not hold any power to me whatsoever Mm -hmm. uh when i when i see that in um a conjuring movie for example i i don't care i don't i don't care if i'm seeing them levitate it does nothing for me anymore because the original mac daddy movie did it better (laughs) <laughs> right you know, like okay. she didn't have to be crawling on the wall she just levitated about three feet yeah. off the bed and i was freaked out for days you know yeah
0: yeah so that's a brad's review of this movie the mac daddy <laughs> of horror movies the mac daddy the mac daddy
1: <laughs> recommend- Re- recommendations
0: <laughs> okay so anything else that you like to recommend that you are just enjoying these days I, I mean,
1: I've been reading just lots of lots of great novels these days. I'm more of a more of a reader than I am a watcher these days. But yeah, um, but we, my my wife and I are are watching uh, the Fall of the House of Usher, Mike Flanagan's. Yeah, I've heard good things about it. Really, really loving that right now. So I would highly recommend watching the Fall of the House of Usher. Um, we've been Mike Flanagan fans for a long time now. Ever ever since I saw Oculus, by the way. Okay, I've been a, a Mike Flanagan just fanatic. So. Um, Yeah, I mean, that and the Goosebumps series is very fun. It's for slightly older audiences. Hits a lot of the nostalgic buttons. I haven't really been able to see a whole lot of films in the theater. Um, I did recently see Talk to Me, which was fantastic. Um, I think that that's definitely one of the the great movies of the past three years in terms of horror. Yeah. So I don't know. I I, I need to I need to get back to the horror roots again and uh, just get in there and just start, you know, nose diving into the into the horror movies again. Uh, But here lately, I've just been doing a lot more reading than anything.
0: Yeah, yeah. Priming well, the pump for that novel I'm writing, I guess. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, my uh, recommendation is actually another podcast, uh, but it's simply called Grapevine. Um, it's uh, behind the NBC News team that made the South Lake podcast. Are you familiar with these uh, two series heard, that heard came out? It. Yeah, heard of yeah, it. Yeah. So uh, the, the South Lake actually won a Peabody Award, um, but it, so it's it's kind of a you could listen to grapevine without listening to the other and vice versa but it's probably helpful to listen to South Lake first uh, it was released in 2021 and was a story of uh, the racial and cultural disputes that divided uh, the suburb of South Lake and uh, this is all takes place in uh, North Texas uh, and we we lived in Arlington uh, for a couple of years so we kind of kind of know those communities but this one grapevine it's six episodes but it, it it's basically – it talks about how it's uh, uh, this teacher and there's a transgender teenager who are caught up in the crossfire of the Grapevine Colleyville School District's uh, anti-trans policy. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of goes deep into that, and it's oh, just – uh, right. Yeah. yeah, it's super. Maybe kind of going off what we were talking about some of the uh, religious themes yeah. <laughs> and, and yeah. good versus evil. It's actually it always kind creeps of, in, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. There's no you know, there's no help me or you know, pea soup involved in this podcast, but uh, <laughs> it's it's very fascinating. Uh, the episodes are only about 30 minutes each, so it's a really fast listen, Listen, um, yeah. yeah, it's really really good. So, uh, that's my recommendation. So, um, well, um, next week. We're going to either be jumping back into the 50 greatest rom coms list to cover 13 going on 30, or at some point, um, it'll be the latest Martin Scorsese crime thriller, Killers of the Flower Moon. I was able to watch that this past week, so we're, yeah, we're lining up fun guests for each one. So I'm not quite sure which one's going to come first, but oh, we're going to probably cover both of those films <laughs> in uh, some way, uh, some form or another. So, also. I'm real excited because I've been working on some new things for the podcast. Uh one is a super easy way to donate and support the podcast. Uh so if you go to our website, there's an easy donate link button. Um and I'll also put it in the description of this episode, but it'll link to a website called Buy Me a Coffee. And on that site, you can easily give a one-time donation, or better yet, you can choose to become a monthly subscriber to the podcast. Um, so, if you love what we do, please consider making a cheerful and generous donation to help us continue making the world of movies uh, come to life. And as always, our website is MoviesorLife.com. So you can find all our episodes, our reviews, uh, like my review for Killers of the Flower Moon, and and more. So if you love this podcast, please take a moment to rate and review it. And that always helps us find new listeners. Um, I, I really appreciate you, Brad, for coming on and uh, diving into this dark journey. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's,
1: it's always so much fun talking with you about this stuff, man. We, it, we should do it more.
0: I know. I know. If only there wasn't miles and miles of road between <laughs> us. It, it'd be fun to do this in person sometime.
1: It would. Yeah, we should make that happen. It would be fun.
0: Yeah. You're going to go to the uh, Last Bedlam game?
1: I I will not. I think we're probably going to be hitting up a haunted house in Ponca City while that's going on, <laughs> in keeping with with form and tradition.
0: Well, see, so you're you're showing your color, true colors, because that's actually not until like November fifth. So I don't know if the haunted oh, that's house is. Right. Oh, Yeah.
1: Oh, you're you're right. It's it's homecoming this weekend. Now that's that's what we're going to be missing. Okay. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Uh, bed, bedlam is tempting. I I I've been getting homecoming and Bedlam like screwed up in my heads, but. <laughs> But yeah, we're, this weekend we're, we're going to be doing the haunts and next weekend, I'm actually going to be going on a writer's retreat. Oh, nice. So, uh, yeah, sadly no bedlam for me then either, but, but, um, hold the fort down for us. Go pokes. Sorry, Nathan. <laughs> and, uh. Yeah, see you in the trenches there. <laughs> yeah, there you go.
0: <laughs> well, uh, well. So next time, uh, just just remember to lock your doors, check under your bed before you go to sleep tonight, and keep a close eye on your crucifix. Okay, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Have a good one. Thank you. See yeah. you, Nathan.